0: This is the Daily Signal Podcast. For Thursday, June 3rd, I'm Virginia Allen and I'm
1: Rachel del Judas. Congressman Shiproy of Texas has authored a bill to defund schools who teach critical race theory. He joins me today on the Daily Signal podcast at Resource Bank to talk about how critical race theory is affecting what children learn in schools and the dangers it poses if it isn't addressed. He also weighs in on the crisis at the southern border and more.
0: Don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. The Daily Signal is currently at the Heritage Foundation's Resource Bank Conference in Austin, Texas. So please do excuse some of the background noise and the chatter that you're gonna hear. All right, now
1: let's hear our top news. Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky is speaking out about newly unearthed emails from Dr. Anthony Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and chief medical advisor to President Joe Biden. Both BuzzFeed and Washington Post obtained emails via a Freedom of Information Act request. One email read, Masks are really for infected people to prevent them from spreading infection to people who are not infected, rather than protecting uninfected people from acquiring infection. Fauci said in an email to someone asking a question about mask wearing for an upcoming trip. Fauci added the typical mask you buy in the drugstore is not really effective in keeping out virus, which is small enough to pass through material. It might, however, provide some slight benefit and keep out droplets if someone coughs or sneezes on you. I do not recommend that you wear a mask, particularly since you are going to a very low risk location. On Wednesday, Paul tweeted, told you hashtag fire Can't wait to see the media try to spin the Fauci FOIA emails. House Republican Whip Steve Scalise is calling for an investigation, tweeting Wednesday, the truth is out. Fauci's emails show he suspected early last year that COVID-19 possibly leaked from the Wuhan lab, yet he stayed silent. This is a major cover-up. We need a full congressional investigation into the origins of COVID-19.
0: THE REPUBLICAN NATIONAL COMMITTEE IS PUTTING PRESSURE ON THE COMMISSION ON PRESIDENTIAL DEBATES TO ENSURE THAT PRESIDENTIAL DEBATES ARE NONPARTISAN. IN A LETTER TO THE COMMISSION OF PRESIDENTIAL DEBATES, RNC Chair Rona McDaniel said GOP candidates would be encouraged not to participate in future presidential debates unless the commission made needed changes. McDaniel wrote that the CPD's repeated missteps and the partisan actions of its board members make clear that the organization no longer provides the fair an impartial forum for presidential debates, which the law requires and the American people deserve. And she added a warning stating, unless the CPD adopts significant reforms to ensure that it better fulfills this important nonpartisan function, the RNC will have no choice but to advise its future nominees against
1: participating in CPD-hosted debates. Rashad Turner, the founder of the Black Lives Matter chapter in St. Paul, Minnesota, has left the organization. Turner said he left because Black Lives Matter wasn't supporting education and real solutions for the black community. Turner also said the intentions of Black Lives Matter was made clear when they publicly denounced charter schools alongside the teachers' union. Here is what Turner had to say about why he left the organization via Take Charge MN. I was the founder of Black Lives Matter in St. Paul. I believe the organization stood for exactly what the name implies. Black lives do matter. However, after a year on the inside, I learned they had little concern for rebuilding black families, and they cared even less about improving the quality of education for students in Minneapolis. That was made clear when they publicly denounced charter schools alongside the teachers' union. I was an insider in Black Lives Matter, and I learned the ugly truth. The moratorium on charter schools does not support rebuilding the black family, but it does create barriers to a better education for black children.
0: The San Francisco Giants baseball team are wearing special uniforms this weekend in celebration of Gay Pride Month. The Giants will sport jerseys with an SF logo pride patch on the sleeve and caps that incorporate the 11 colors of the Progress Pride flag during their home game with the Chicago Cubs this Saturday. The Giants are the first team to incorporate LGBTQ pride colors into their baseball uniforms. Giants president and CEO Larry Baer said in a statement Tuesday that we are extremely proud to stand with the LGBTQ community as we kick off one of the best annual celebrations in San Francisco by paying honor to the countless achievements and contributions as all those who identify as LGBTQ plus and
1: are allies of the LGBTQ community. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Congressman Shirk Roy on critical race theory, the border, and more. This is Virginia Allen, host of the Daily Signal podcast.
0: I don't know about you, but YouTube is certainly one of my guilty pleasures. I really enjoy watching short videos on a variety of topics. So I'm always looking for videos that are actually educational and beneficial to me in some way. And the Daily Signal YouTube channel never disappoints. There is so much binge-worthy content, from policy and news explainers to documentaries. If you're not driving, go ahead and pull out your phone and subscribe to the Daily Signal YouTube channel so you can be in the know on the issues you care about most. You can also search for the channel by going to youtube.com slash
1: dailysignal. I'm joined today on The Daily Signal by Congressman Chip Roy of Texas. Congressman Roy, it's great to have you with us on The Daily Signal podcast.
2: Well, it's great to join The Daily Signal, particularly from Texas. It makes know, it all the better.
1: It makes it so much better. It's great to be in your state. Yeah. So you have a bill to defund schools who teach critical race theory. Can you tell us about your bill?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, uh, what, we're, what America is having their uh, eyes opened to, uh, and I think that's one upside, if there is an upside, to what we've experienced over the last year with the covid shutdowns and there aren't that many upsides right it was i think a terrible you know undermining of small businesses and our kids being you know in schools with masks or not being in school but what now the american people are seeing is they've they've had the veil lifted on our corrupt public education system they're now actually starting to see The garbage that's being being taught and shoved down the throat of our children and part of that garbage has been critical race theory and all of the various tentacles that critical race theory creates in which we are teaching our children to uh believe that america's evil to you know be ashamed of quote their whiteness and how they can undo their whiteness i mean there are so many stories Uh, if you go look and people ignore they say oh this isn't real no it's real go look at the curriculum go look at what's being taught Mm -hmm. and this stuff is frankly being purposefully put into the minds of our kids rather than teaching our kids that america is great rather than teaching our kids about what we can achieve and moving forward they want to break down our country and so i don't believe that any federal dollar should go to any school K-through graduate school that teaches any of this. And so uh, we've introduced legislation, the Combating Racist Teaching Act, H.R. 3163, to do just that, to remove all federal dollars from any school that teaches any of that stuff.
1: Can you talk a little bit about how, you mentioned this briefly uh, in your opening remarks, but how critical race theory is affecting what children learn in schools. Can you talk a little bit more about what these kids are hearing in their classroom from their teachers?
2: Yeah, I mean, so this goes all the way from the the issues with training teachers to teach this, and then this stuff gets implemented. It's not always, it's not like they roll out the, you know, uh, CRT manual, right? I mean, it's not like they just go, go, Oh, here we're teaching critical race theory today. What they do is though, they train teachers and then each one of these little things and nuggets gets buried into all of the, you know, and throughout the curriculum. And so when you're teaching history, when you're teaching different events, and then you just start dropping this stuff in there about teaching children how to you know, deal with their whiteness, right? Or you know, they read books, actual books that are titled you know, like how to you know, you know, manage your whiteness and, and, and uh, talking about how America is evil. And it's all under a Marxist theory and, and trying to move our children to the belief that our country isn't great and that we're evil and that we're evil because of systemic racism. And they use that. They use what we naturally as human beings, as Americans, as Christians, as believers, whatever, that we believe, hey, you know, the wrong of slavery, the wrong of Jim Crow uh, policies in the South that we want to you know, fix, move forward, make sure that all Americans are treated equally. They use that to then infiltrate essentially the education system to promote Marxist theories and undermine our country. And it's purposeful.
1: What can parents do to make sure their kids aren't being taught critical race theory? Are there any things you'd like to mention about what parents, how they can be involved in this as they're finding out about what their kids are learning in school?
2: Well, they need to step on the gas to boot out, kick out all of the school board members who have allowed this nonsense to proliferate. They need to pull their kids out of the schools that allow it to occur, homeschool, choose to avail themselves of local uh, private schools, and then ho- but but hold their schools accountable. I mean, if you can't afford it, I understand it. I mean, it's a struggle, and if, if you've got two. To uh, income family, it's hard, then hold your schools accountable. But whatever it is, don't let them get away with it. Know what's in the curriculum, know what they're being taught, and make sure that they're being taught the things they need to know to go forward and thrive as a human being on this earth, reading, writing, arithmetic, science, history, the things that they need to know, uh, but aren't being taught and, and fed this stuff that is negative and breaks down our communities and breaks down trust and divvies us up by race, to use the words of Chief Justice John Roberts, it's a sordid business, this divvying us up by race. And that's what this is. It's purposeful to divide us rather than bring us together as Americans. We can all acknowledge things that were wrong in our past, right? You can look and see that our founders were flawed men, some of whom owned slaves, and and recognize the greatness of our founding carrying forward the eradication of slavery within 80 years of the founding of our country, a great moment in the history of the world, and then carry forward and, and realize what we then were able to eradicate to blow out the, the, the Jim Crow South into where we are today and know that there's far more to do, but, but that we shouldn't be filling our kids uh, with this garbage that undermines our country and undermines their well-being.
1: Well, big picture, Congressman Roy, we're looking at critical race theory. What's the danger if this isn't addressed? What do you see going forward? If no one does anything, what is that danger?
2: The danger is that we destroy the republic because we're no longer united under the idea of what it is to be an American. And that's people say, "Oh, you guys are overstating this." This is no, we, the, the, we are great because we're united around these ideas, right? We're great because we the, we have values that bring us together, right? The people that co- have come to our country, the immigrants that have made this country great, they come here around that idea. <laughs> They were proud to come to uh, Ellis Island. They were proud to immigrate to America. Why? To embrace what makes us great. Yeah, with differences, but at the end of the day, with a belief that you can achieve anything, that this country does stand up for, for not just uh, uh, you know liberty, but also for equality and equal justice under law, and that they could have the fruits of their labors. Right? Why would you not go right now? And I don't even have to ask you. Invest a lot of money in Mexico because the rule of law isn't enforced. Right. The rule of law is what separates us uh, and and really highlights what is great about this country. And when you undermine the rule of law and uh, and destroy what all those things that hold us together, including a belief that we're united as Americans, then it destroys the fabric of the country.
1: We're here talking in Texas. How do Texans feel about critical race theory? What are they telling you?
2: i mean i can tell you we just had a number of uh, in may we had some elections in uh local county school board elections and we had some serious victories in alamo heights in san antonio in hayes county the county i uh, live in in bernie in uh, kendall county there was a little bit of a uh, some efforts in, in austin and i think a couple of those fell short but now they're energized for the next elections and people are fired up about it people recognize why this is a problem they're concerned about it and like i said the veil has been lifted, right? A lot of parents, frankly, had just kind of allowed the system to continue to educate their children. They thought, well, I'm sending them there. They're learning stuff. It's fine. I don't always agree with it, but okay. Now they're starting to look at it and go, wait a minute, you're doing what? They're teaching you what? And and then they they think well this this isn't good for my children it's like amen now let's do something about it and they're starting to see see people wake up to it
1: well as we're talking about critical race theory race relations right now in the country are pretty tense is there a way that you think schools should address topics of race
2: I think at the end of the day you you, you best do that people that I know of all races and backgrounds white black Hispanic you know when we unite as I was saying earlier uh, unite around the ideas that bring us together right that's how you bring people forward right you root out discrimination wherever it exists right i mean you you combat it wherever it exists but you you don't dwell on it right have you if you turn on the news right now and you go listen to a speech by joe biden or kamala harris or nancy pelosi or chuck schumer or any of the democrats what day can you remember where race wasn't a central theme to what they're talking about so let me ask you a question over the last year last 14 months since the tragic events surrounding mr floyd this intense focus on race has that been good or bad for the livelihoods the well-being the progress of of, of communities uh within black communities in america and i would argue if you looked at the uh, burning in our streets if you looked at what's happening in, in terms of families in terms of uh, violence in terms of what's been happening over the last year this intense focus on race has not been good as opposed to an intense focus on Policies, making good choices on policies. You know, in Austin right now, we just... Uh, Launched the Save Austin Now petition to get 50,000 signatures to stand behind our police, not to defund police, but to actually have more resources for police, to increase community policing, to have more cops on the streets building relationships with people in the streets, and to make sure that they're, you know, having uh, in communities, people that actually know the people in those communities. Maybe a black cop in a black community, but that's, you know, that can be helpful, but at the end of the day, make sure that you've got people there that know the people on the streets. Why are we going the other way? Oh, let's re- imagine police by getting rid of them right what do you have you have a doubling of murder in austin texas right it's insane that's not good that's not good for anybody but it's not good for the communities that are alleged to be being helped and that's one final point on what i'd say about democrats they talk a big game about how they're compassionate for people and they particularly like to play up race and color and ethnicity but let's are, are, are democratic policies good for migrants the migrants getting abused in Mexico on the journey from Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, the, the people that are then under the thumb of the cartels being put into human trafficking, and sex trafficking, is that good for migrants? Democrats pat themselves on the back for saying, look at me, aren't I compassionate? Yay me uh, for my open borders policies. Meanwhile, little girls getting raped on the journey. And they just go, oh, well, I mean, I, I guess that's just a you know p- product of my political well-being, right? But that's we're seeing the same thing with defunding police, reimagining police. This is absolute nonsense. And the American people see it and they understand it.
1: Well, Congressman Roy, you brought up the border situation, and I wanted to ask you about that. What is your perspective on what's happening right now since the inauguration in January? What have you seen happen and how how it's gone down from the Trump administration to January when President Biden was inaugurated till now where we're at?
2: Well, it's hard to pick an, uh, an issue that you can focus on that summarizes better the uh, rote incompetence uh, and failure of the administration uh, better than the border. Uh, you know, I guess the president has allegedly put the vice president, vice president, uh, Kamala Harris in charge of the border. Uh, I guess now she's in charge of HR one and moving election integrity reform. I can only hope she's effective at that as she has been effective at, at, at uh, securing the border allegedly, but you know, what's happening is, you, you know, we joke about it, but it's a tragedy. I mean, I talk to ranchers every day that have their property being destroyed, fences being destroyed. We see, you know, photographs on ranches where a little, a uh, little girl had her hands bound behind her back. You know, uh, Kat Kamak, my colleague, was just talking about conversations she had with a young lady who had been gang raped on the border. I talked to a seven-year-old girl who was on the journey alone by herself, had no family, had no friends. We talk about, you know, 600,000 apprehensions through mid-May of this year, probably pushing 700,000 soon. 300,000 gotaways and releases. We have more fentanyl that came through in the first four months of this year than all of 2020 combined. It's just absurd what we're doing, and we're seeing this unfold. And destroy communities. As as my colleague Kat was talking about the amount of fentanyl and we've got this fentanyl heroin cocktail and what's happening to our children and schools, the amount of opioids flowing into our country. Why? Because we have open borders, right? By the way, we could secure our border in about a week. Seriously, if you just had the willpower to do it, you could secure it, roughly secure it in about a week. Certainly within a year, we could have it pretty much fully secure. And you just change the policies, the asylum policies, the catch and release policies, knock the knees out from under the cartels, make sure that we fix TVPRA, use return to Mexico, you know, Title 42 for the, you know, COVID and uh, communicable diseases. Uh, We could limit flow and then we could get busy building walls, roads, infrastructure, border patrol, uh, and we could have a secure border. We could do it immediately. We just choose not to.
1: Well, I wanted to ask you too. you mentioned the vice president, how she's been put in charge. And I believe recently she said this week or this past week that she's dismayed by the rhetoric surrounding her you know, role in this situation, but I've already been twice at the border this year. She's yeah. vice president, she hasn't chosen to go. So I guess what would your message to her and other leaders be right now?
2: Well, my message would be is uh, you know, if you, if you look at a map of the United States and you just go over to the middle of the country and go down, there's a state and it's called Texas. And then there's this river along Texas called the Rio Grande and it borders Mexico. There's a problem down here and you're allegedly in charge of it. They have planes. I think you actually have a plane that you can use. Pretty sure taxpayers pay for it. You can fly out of an Air Force base in Washington, D.C., right outside D.C. You can get on that plane, taxpayer funded. You can fly directly to the border. I don't get to do that. I get on Southwest Airlines. i got to wait for a single direct flight, fly to Austin. Then i got to drive five hours down to McAllen. Now, I do it all the time because I live in Texas and I drive down to the border. You can fly directly into McAllen. It'll take you about three and a half hours. You can go down and you can see with your own eyes what's actually happening down at the Rio Grande, yet you refuse to do that. And for about two weeks now, I've been throwing out there. I'm happy to debate you anywhere, anytime. I will show up anywhere the vice president says, and I will go there and I will debate her on the border. She won't do that because she knows their policies are an abject failure. They are endangering Americans, endangering migrants, weakening our country, weakening our children, endangering our children filling our schools, filling our hospitals. She knows that it's a failed policy, so there's no chance she'll show up to debate, but that uh, offer stands.
1: We you mentioned the ranchers that you speak to um, and the broken fences, the broken water lines, everything that we see that happens on these ranches. More broadly speaking, how does illegal immigration affect Texans?
2: Well, look, I mean, you have direct impact. How about Jared Vargas, who two years ago was murdered in San Antonio by an illegal immigrant who was working at the restaurant where he was working. And uh, this guy, the illegal immigrant, had been caught, released, caught, released, caught again, released, and three days later killed Jared Vargas. I know his family very well. They're a lovely family. Jared's twin brother just graduated from college last year, and he's going on to graduate school. He's a great guy, and God bless him. He's, he's, they've moved on through strong faith. That's one story of dozens, of hundreds, I could tell you, of Americans that have been negatively impacted by this situation. Now, currently, with this recent flow, ranchers call me every single day I got people that are texting me, showing me pictures. I could sit here and show you picture after picture of fences that are down, people breaking into homes. I had the mayor of Uvalde, Texas, which is just south of the district I represent. The mayor said they had a 100-mile-per-hour high-speed chase through their town yesterday, and a migrant went through, and they threw a gun out the door as they went blowing through. The district attorney in Kendall County, Texas, just outside in Bernie, just outside of San Antonio, Nicole Bishop, they had nine immigrants in a car, two of them had bound up in a trunk. They were headed to a stash house in Houston, Texas, to be put into the sex trafficking and human trafficking trade. One of the kids in the car had paid $4,000 to go pick grapes in California. The driver of the car is an American citizen, employee of the Cartel del Noreste of Los Zetas operating in Nuevo Laredo. That's what's happening every day in Texas, every single day. Fentanyls killing our kids, the human and sex trafficking in our country. 600,000 apprehensions, that means hundreds of thousands of gotaways, negative impact on our schools, negative impact on our communities, crimes that are committed against American citizens. But really, most of all, we've empowered cartels to run the border of the United States.
1: Well, before we wrap up, I wanted to talk a little bit about H.R. One. It was called the For the People Act. Now I believe Democrats are calling it the John Lewis Act. What's your perspective of this legislation and what is your thought on it?
2: It's absolute and total garbage. It federalizes elections in a way that it undermines the very structure of our constitution. It would limit Texas's ability or any other state's ability to have voter identification. It would basically put in place mandates that require us to use mail-in ballots in ways that undermine our ability to have integrity in, in, in our ballots and elections. It would pay for campaigns for uh, federal candidates, which inserts the government into that mix. I and mean, I go down the laundry list of things, but it is a federal takeover of elections. It is, I think, in some ways unconstitutional, maybe not in other ways, but it's certainly highly problematic. And, uh, and I'm obviously strongly against it. I think states ought to be doing what they're doing. We saw Florida, Iowa, Georgia, other states that have passed reforms. Texas needs to kick it into gear. They just closed out their legislative session without passing election reform. That's a fail. They need to come back into session and pass election reform. The governor's going to call them back. Hope he'll do so pretty quickly. And they'll get back in and pass reforms. We need to ensure that we use voter ID, not just in person, but have voter ID attached to mail-in ballots. We need to target mail-in ballots to those who need it, who request it, who are sick and firm, serving overseas. uh, But largely, then have people be able to show up in person, know that who's voting, that that ballot is attached to that person. Because if you don't, people say, oh, you know, you're trying to limit votes. No, we're not. We're trying to make sure every ballot that's cast is a ballot that you can trust so that if you cast your ballot, you know it's not being diluted or watered down by somebody voting who's not supposed to be voting. I introduced legislation to require USCIS, DHS, to provide the information necessary to ensure that only citizens vote. This is common sense in a republic. A republic's only as strong as the faith you have in the elections when you're sending representatives to represent you, and we need to make sure that we can believe it. H.R. 1's a disaster. We can hope that Senator Manchin holds the line, but we need states, Texas, and others to step up and lead and demonstrate that we're going to fix our elections here locally.
1: Well, Congressman Roy, thank you for joining us on The Daily Signal. It's great having you with us.
2: Great to join you as always. Glad you're in Texas.
1: And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Daily Signal Podcast.
0: You can find The Daily Signal Podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Please be sure to leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And as always, please take a moment to encourage others to subscribe. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with
1: you all tomorrow.
2: The Daily Signal Podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation.